Hey, Crosswalk, good morning. Thanks for coming out and spending uh, the weekend with us, the Saturday with us. We're excited to have you guys here. Um, and I, I hope you had a good week. Uh, I know a lot of people, this is a season of traveling and taking breaks. So when we get to see you, it's great, it's exciting. Thank you uh, for giving us that. And uh, I'm a little fired up uh, today. I got to, uh, I got to see Indiana Jones this week, so, you know, I was waiting for that one for quite a while. I, in fact, it would, it would pump me up even more. The music was great, yes. Thank you, musicians, for all your hard work on our music, leading us into worship. But man, if I could walk on stage to that music, da-da-da, da-da-da, I'd just, I'd just be ready to go. Maybe if I start wearing a fedora, it'll be even better. I'd be that much more fired up. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, there's a clip of Harrison Ford coming into an event, and they're playing the music as he walks on stage, and he says that music has followed him everywhere. He said he was, uh, uh, the last place he had it was entering the operating room for a colonoscopy. That's a little weird. <laughs> but uh, it was good. So, uh, yeah, Indiana Jones, one, two, three, skip, and then five. That's the formula. So, anyway, it was great. I hope you had a good Fourth of July. Uh, you, you didn't start any fires, and you didn't blow up, and your animals all lived. Um, our, our windows rattled a few hundred times, um, and our dogs had to have CPR several times uh, in order to survive. But here we are. It is good to have you. We are in week three of our series called The Little Letters. We're going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Again, an easy thing to do when you're traveling, because you can just stay on our series guide, which is online and on our app. Uh, you can get daily reminders to read that guide. And then just reading through the scriptures today, we are starting in chapter 4 um, of that book. And this is the Apostle John in his twilight years writing to a beloved congregation of his in Ephesus. But likely, as we said last week, that letter would have been shared throughout Asia Minor and all the other churches because John is a living legend. He was alive with Jesus. He saw the miracles firsthand. He watched Jesus be crucified, resurrected. He had breakfast with him. He touched him. This was the story, and it was real. So, John is now sharing that story, continuing to share the story in to the second generation of followers. Pastor Tim talked about that the first, uh, the first week, the different generations of a story. But now we are, we, he's talking to people that didn't live with Jesus, that didn't see Jesus. They are going based on the stories that are being told about Jesus. And the farther they got from the original story, the more questions arose, right? Was Jesus really God or was he just an amazing human? If he was God, how could he also be human? Because that didn't make any sense, right? They viewed the world in two different ways, by and large, in this time. There was the world and the spirit. The world, the flesh, was bad and the spirit was good. So how could a human being have both of those things, be flesh and spirit? It didn't make any sense to them. So they asked the questions, was the story of Jesus just that? a story, a great read, but at the end of the day, too good to be true, right? And we've all had that experience that maybe it was something we waited a long time for, that when it finally happened, the next day we let, were left asking ourselves, man, was that real? Did that actually take place or did I just dream it? You know, maybe it was a place you've been wanting to visit for a long time and the trip was over. It was a concert you got to see or as a person you got to meet. For me, I grew up loving the theater, 
And the first production that I fell in love with was one that just recently closed, The Phantom of the Opera. I loved that story. I read the original story. I listened and memorized the music. I even went out and bought one of those masks. I know, I know, it's weird, uh, but I can remember actually, this is the kind of uh, you know, adolescence that I had. Um, I would wear that mask when I played kick the can with my friends, and if I was actually charging towards the can, I'd put the mask on and I would sing, the phantom of the opera is here. I recognized that I was not a normal child growing up, and I took great pride in that, actually. So, who wants to be normal? Uh, when I was in college, my aunt took my brother and I for the first time to see my first Broadway production. Portland, Keller Auditorium, sat there, the lights went down, the music started, and for the next two and a half hours, I was mesmerized, taking in every moment, mouthing the music, not singing it, because obviously that's not my gift, um, but just absorbing every minute, and afterwards, I was just intoxicated by the theater. I had to drive four hours back to college that night, and I, the whole time, I'm replaying the scene over and over and over again in my head. And the next morning, I woke up, and I had that moment of just like, was that, did that really happen, or did I just dream it? And of course, the torn ticket stub on the nightstand was the proof that I had seen it. I had experienced it. It was real. In 1 John 4, after establishing what he had seen and heard, John begins to address some of the false teachings that begin to challenge the story. These false teachers and prophets were claiming spiritual authority, like they knew and had this secret knowledge, and they were causing people to question, was it real? And if it was, what parts of the story are true and what were made up, maybe? So John writes knowing he was the only one left that was actually in the room when it happened. Before diving into chapter 4 of John, we need to recognize something important about John's writings, though. You see, in all of John's writings, there is a strong undercurrent, an assumption that we must acknowledge if we are to understand his writings. But in reality, it is something that all of the biblical writers assume, an undercurrent throughout Scripture, that if we fail to recognize this part of the story, we will struggle to understand not just the Scriptures, but we will struggle to understand our day-to-day -day lives and the events and the things that happen all around us. In John's writings, his gospel, these three letters, and the book of Revelation, he introduces us to all sorts of rivals, opposites, things that live in tension with one another. In his opening to his gospel story about Jesus, John writes, the word, the word which is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish or understand it. So rivalry number one, light versus dark. We see this rivalry not just in scriptures, but for the longest time, the heroes and the villains were separated this way. The heroes wore white or were in uh, light, whereas the villains were in dark or wore black, right? Of course, now we have the anti-villain, which are anti-hero, which is a tough thing, but we'll stay focused. So light versus dark, but we also find the tensions in the concepts of love and hate. And for John, he often connects hate and sin, uh, hate to sin and darkness, and then light, love comes from light. So as we re read last week, if anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. 
So rivalry number two, love versus hate. John also speaks about a rivalry of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. When on trial, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. So rivalry number three, kingdom of God versus the kingdom or ways of the world. But all of these rivalries have at their root the one rivalry that created all the other ones. The rivalry that simply split the heavens and the earth. It is not just a rivalry, it is truly the conflict of the ages. Now there have been great rivalries in history. Our lives are full of rivalries from literature to sports to politics and films. Our siblings, our lives are full of rivalries. I was born and grew up in the state of Ohio until the age of nine when we moved out to the Northwest. Ohio are big Buckeye fans. It's the the Ohio State University versus the villain, Michigan. And what's interesting is when we moved back out there not long ago for a few years, we went in search of, of houses and almost every house we looked at had basements, big thing in the Midwest, and almost all of them were these man caves with like Ohio State everything everywhere. And the one that really took the cake for us, not, and we didn't buy it, let's just be clear about that, um, was a place that had Ohio State carpet, Ohio State wallpaper, Ohio State lights and chandeliers. Everywhere you looked was Ohio State Buckeyes. And then you go into the bathroom where there was a urinal, not common in basements. Inside the urinal, Michigan stickers. <laughs> this person was serious about this rivalry. So, Ohio State and Michigan, Red Sox versus the Yankees, right? Or anyone versus Tom Brady, amen? (laughs) Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, the Hatfields versus the McCoys, Darth Vader versus Obi-Wan Kenobi, David versus Goliath. We have the good guy, the bad guy, the hero, the villain, whatever it is, rivalries have at their roots the first rivalry. Author John Eldridge writes, all other villains are only a shadow of this villain, and all other heroes are only a shadow of this hero. That is the villain and the hero in the ultimate story of creation. In John's letters, he mentions this rivalry rivalry plainly when he says things like, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. This is the ultimate rivalry, God versus the devil. Who do you belong to? And this is the root of all other battles. This battle undergirds the story of our lives, and without an understanding of it, we continue to wrestle, struggle, and wander in this life, trying to make sense of it all. But when we see and accept the battle, we can not only interpret our history and our lives better, we can actually learn to walk confidently on the side of the one who has claimed the victory. Again, from Eldridge, until we come to terms with war as the context of our days, we will not understand life. We will misinterpret 90%, 90, 90% of what is happening around us and to us. So when it comes to the battle of good and evil, there are at least two camps that people fall into. On one side, there are those that are afraid. The battle scares us. In fact, there are some who will tell me, don't even mention the devil's name because we don't want to draw attention to him or to ourselves, right? Just don't, just don't talk about it. When I was chaplain at Walla Walla, I mentioned before we had this uh, church member, uh, community member whose name was Rusty, and Rusty loved 
to talk back to you during a service. In, in the sermon, in the music, all sorts of things, he always talked back to you and said things quite loudly. And so one night I was preaching on the great controversy, this conflict, and it got to a fairly dramatic place and I said the devil's name for the first time. And there were 800 people in the room and you could hear a pin drop when I said the word Lucifer. That lasted about two seconds before Rusty blurted out, that dirty bird. (laughs) I did laugh because I said, you know, Rusty, you're right. He is a dirty bird right? But some of us are so afraid of that dirty bird that we go and we run and hide, right? We're, we're scared of what he might do. We're scared of his power and his influence. We're just plain scared. On the other side are people that are either unaware of this rivalry and battle or they are indifferent, attributing the events in life to fate or chance or luck or destiny. A bad day is just bad luck or a bad season or a bad decade or maybe The source is less mystical than that, or there isn't a source, it's just life, deal with it. Now there's all sorts of views in between these, but as C.S. Lewis once wrote, the devil doesn't care if we fail to believe he exists, or if we're we're so afraid of him that we hide under a rock, either way, he's got us. And without a right understanding of the conflict, the rivalry, all of the world's events just push us more and more into anxiety and fear, another mass shooting, another war, another kidnapping, another suicide, another sex trafficking ring, another disaster, another recession. When we don't understand the story, it's hard to have hope that anything could ever get better. And then as Adventists, we have an extra layer on top of all of that. We are fearful of this thing called the last great deception. We're worried that somehow in the teaching from Scripture that at the end times there's going to be this time of being tricked or deceived by this teaching that sounds like Jesus but really isn't Jesus. And John calls that false teaching or false representative as the Antichrist. Just decades after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, John seems to already be living in a time in history when this is happening. In 1 John 4, he says, Dear friends, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit that uh, they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. John knows the rivalry. His language is strong. He says that if the Spirit doesn't come from God, it must come from the opposite of God, the world, the devil. False prophets were present in John's time, and they have tried to confuse us throughout history, and they will continue to come. But John gives us Uh, how to tell, the answer of how to tell the difference between the false prophets and the real ones. He writes, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Again, the conflict is on full display. The spirit of God or the spirit of the Antichrist or the anti-God. The key to win the battle, according to John, is to acknowledge the full humanity and divinity of Jesus, which another way to say that is cling to Jesus. As people in John's time began to question the stories about Jesus, John pushes back and says, look, I was there. Everything you heard, I've seen, I've experienced, I witnessed. It's real. 
And John's gospel testifies to these truths. But it seems that the people in Ephesus were struggling to discern the truth from the lies. They were listening to everyone who was claiming spiritual authority, consuming all the, inv- uh, all the information, but investigating none of it. Now, I think this continues to be a huge problem in our world today. We consume information, but we don't discern it as much, especially when it comes from anyone who claims to be a spiritual authority. We could spend a whole series on this, but for now, let me give you a critical tool of discernment to be able to tell the difference between what is from God and what isn't. And for that, we will go back to John's gospel for my second favorite quote that he shares. The first one is John 3, 16 and 17. The second one for me is John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or in other translations, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life abundant. So when it comes to discernment, what gives you life and what steals it away from you? Is the theology you're listening to growing new life inside of you, blessing you and others around you, making the world a better place, or are the things you're reading, hearing, consuming, stealing your joy and stealing your peace and your ability to love others? Are the things you are consuming, are they adding to your relationships or are they destroying your relationships? Are they making you more loving or more afraid and judgmental? Or are those things producing in you the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So don't just consume. Don't just listen to what I say and say, well, Pastor Patty said. I mean, Trisha will tell you how bad of an idea that is. All right, like you hear things, then you investigate it, you, you read the scriptures, you spend time, you dig deeper, you think and, and meditate on the life and teachings of Jesus, and you do so in community. It's one of the reasons why after the service, we, we have a new group we've started, a connect group that meets right over there, where you can go and just di- dive a little deeper into the scriptures and want to say, well, well, Pastor Patty said, but I kind of think, or I'm not so sure, what about this? And you can talk about it because amazing things happen within community. So encourage you to do that. Pastor Uriel will be leading out in that discussion today. Go deeper, wrestle with the teaching together and let the Spirit lead you. And when you do get scared, or when life hits you with one bad day after another and it feels like the devil has the upper hand on you, on your loved ones, on your church, then remember and claim what John tells us next in 1 John 4. In response to the false teachings and the rivalry, John reminds us, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Now we're going to come back to the victory part of this in just a moment. But that last line is a line that I have needed in my life time and time and time again when I have repeated to myself in the midst of my struggles and my battles and my anxiety, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are protected by the most powerful being in the world. Claim it. Live into it. I I remember going to my my first, I was trying to think of how to kind of illustrate this, but I I, I thought of an experience I had with my dad um, where I had grown up going to baseball games 
right? And baseball games are pretty, uh, pretty friendly, right? You can go to another stadium and you can wear the other colors and people are like, oh, hey, yeah, you're a fan of the, okay, you know, and, and everything. But, but it's pretty, uh, you know, it's, it's familiar. We're family. Everybody's family. We love baseball. Very few people anymore love baseball. So we're a group that stick together, right? Um, but that was not my experience when I went to my first NFL game. That was a different uh, feeling altogether. My first NFL game was, was my Cincinnati Bengals versus some of your Seattle Seahawks, right? And so uh, I was 10 years old. I went with my dad and my brothers. My, my brothers and I are wearing our Cincinnati Bengals jerseys. We're super excited to finally see a game. We're expecting it to be similar to a baseball game. We go in there, and as soon as we sit down, people start throwing stuff at us. They throw popcorn, and they throw peanuts, and different things like that, and I'm 10 years old. I'm just a child, for pity's sakes. And that's when my dad stood up. My dad, all six foot three, 320 pounds of him, stood up and turned around and said, I think you should stop that before you and I step outside. Guess what? It stopped. Because I was with my dad, and my dad could beat up your dad. Right? <laughs> so there was power there. There was something that said, I've got this person. They are covered. And yes, there is a devil, an adversary, an enemy to pay attention to. He is cunning. He is brilliant. A former angel who stood in the heavenly circle. But rest assured, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. For in those who believe lives the holy uncreated one. In you who have surrendered and been baptized lives the spirit of God. In your veins exists the same person who uh, calmed the raging sea, who raised the dead to life, and who conquered sin and death. If you ever doubt who is stronger, God or the devil, read through the Gospels and see what happens whenever Jesus encounters a demon. There is no, well, there's only one discussion right? The demoniacs asked Jesus to send them into the uh, pigs and not the abyss, if you know that story. But there was never a question as to whether or not they had to do whatever came out of Jesus's mouth. Often they fall down and worship initially because they know this is God, the one who created them, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so there's no, like, we're not going to do what you say. They obeyed because they had to. They obeyed because he is God. So don't doubt whether or not God is big enough. Yes, there is light and darkness, love and hate, God and the devil. But friends, Jesus is the one who went to hell and back. And guess what? He won. Jesus has the victory. John speaks of victory six times in 1 John, which is more than any other book in the New Testament aside from the book of Revelation which is his other book. John was obsessed with the victory. He watched it happen, and he lived into it boldly and confidently. And he wants us to experience that too. When John says, you have already won the victory, the Greek verb here is a perfect tense, which means it is decisive. It happened, but it also means it continues to happen. You have victory. It happened, and it happens claim it. Jesus conquered sin and death. He overcame and he continues to overcome in your life. So cling to him. Hold on to him. Never let go of him because he will never let go of you. You don't have to be afraid of the end times and what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid of this idea that God will lift his hands from the earth because Jesus had this little line, his last little saying before he left the earth, I will 
never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's not going to leave us. We don't have to be afraid of that. We can live boldly and confidently into the victory that he has claimed for us. So claim your victory. When the world shows up to beat you down, remember that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you're scared and frozen in your tracks, just say the name of Jesus, even if you have to repeat it over and over and over again. For as we are told, told, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a battle going on in our world, the battle between good and evil, light and dark, love and hate, God and the devil. The devil's fate has been decided by Jesus, but he's not going to down without a fight. But we can fight back. We can fight back. Now, I know some of us, especially, uh, again, if we've grown up in the Adventist tradition, you know, by and large, uh, the Adventist tradition is pacifist. We were conscientious objectors in, in the war and uh, those kinds of things. So, you know, I, I remember when I was really struggling with my anxiety and in and, and counseling, I was meeting with a guy who was a former Marine, and he used the analogy at one point where he said, Patty, you know, battling your mental health, it's kind of like being in a fist fight. He said, you know what that's like. You've been in a fist fight, right? Now, I am the youngest child of three brothers, and so I was beat up a lot. Um, youngest children, you know, I, I know I've said this before, we flinch at any sudden movements in our periphery because We've been beat up so many times in our life. <laughs> just, just back off. So if you ever see me do that, it's not you, it's me. Okay, unless you're hitting me. Um, I suppose <laughs> that could be it. So on one side of it, yeah, I knew what it had been like to be in some brawls with my siblings. But on the other side of it, I laughed and I told the guy, I said, actually, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Like, you know, we're not really people that physically fight. Like when we get mad at each other, we just have a committee meeting, you know, and then, and then we just let it all out. You know, that's how we deal with our anger. But fighting the devil is a battle. It is at times like that kind of a fight. The devil is sneaky. He knows our weaknesses. In our culture, he doesn't just jump out at us and say, ah, I'm the devil, do what I say, right? In our culture, he does it differently. He causes us to be so busy we don't have time for ourselves or others. He will put a device in our hands that numbs us to the world around us. He will try to give us a picture of God that isn't accurate, so we're either afraid of him or we stop believing in him because the devil's version of God isn't a good God. But we can fight back. We don't have to be afraid. He who is in us is bigger than he who is in the world. Believe it. Live into it. Live the abundant life that Jesus came and died and got the victory to give you. So claim his name. Claim the name who reigns above it all, whose cross is your freedom, whose stripes bring you healing, whose blood is still speaking and whose love is still reaching. Claim his name, for there is power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he has and will win. For at the name of Jesus, the demons go running. And under the name of Jesus, you and I can live boldly and confidently as together we push back the dark and love one another. Let's pray. Oh, Father God in heaven, I know for some of us, this is, this is tough. It's, it's scary even to talk about it because we're not so sure about the darkness. We're not so sure about, about the devil. We don't, want, we don't want to think about these things, God, but it's reality. It is the current that is under all of our lives. It is the bigger story of what's really going on all around us. 
But Lord, you have told us repeatedly in your word that we do not have to be afraid. Perfect love drives out fear because love is in us and he who is in us is bigger than he who is in the world. So help us live into that. Claim the victory that you won for us. And may we go from this place and help other people realize that they too can live into the victory of Jesus Christ. So I claim the name of Jesus right now for this congregation. I claim the name of Jesus over our church, over our community, over our families, over our homes, over our city. I claim the name of Jesus because in the name of Jesus, we have power. In the name of Jesus, we are free. So help us live it. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.